We're going to go over something today that in the beginning it might be a lot. I don't expect you all to remember all of it. I'm going to endeavor to teach through an entire chapter, Luke 14. Luke 14 to me has been something very precious, very personal to me. Over the years, sometimes God just does something in your heart with a certain section of Scripture. And one of them for me has been this chapter. And I've preached it before, and I just felt God put it in my heart again. I don't always get to do one week. You know, we always do series. I just find it helps. I always say, God, what do you want to bring? Where are the people at? What do they need to take the next step? It's not to just say, let me preach my favorite thing. It's where are God's people at? Amen? Spiritual direction. So if I called it anything, I would title the the message, In This Season, Don't Lose Your Seasoning. In this season of Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, where you're going to meet people, you're going to see family, it's going to be interesting for some people. It's going to have sometimes pressure. Don't lose your seasoning. And of course, I'm talking about salt and light. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. So I'm going to read actually quickly while you go to Luke 14. I'm going to read Matthew 5. You are the salt of the earth. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? Obviously meaning it cannot. Okay? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket. That's actually a bushel or a bowl. And, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You know, friends, he's speaking to his disciples there. There's a big difference between believing and following. Jesus never actually, in the New Testament, Jesus never called us believers. Now, it doesn't matter that much. They do in the epistles. But Jesus never really called us believers. We get called many things in the New Testament, ambassadors, kings, priests, sons, and so forth and so on. Many descriptions of identity, of who we are in Christ. But Jesus called us disciples, disciplined learner through following, following in order to become, not studying just this, not intellectual studying. I follow to become. And it's interesting because Jesus would say to the crowds, believe in me, believe that the Father has sent me. If you believe in me, you shall, so forth and so on. But he said to his disciples, follow me. There's a big difference. Are you with me? Big difference between believing and actually following. Because you follow so you can become like. It's like an apprenticeship. That's following, and that's a disciple. And he's saying to his disciples, you actually are the salt of the earth. Jesus called us disciples, he also called us salt, and he called us light. He said, you are salt, say salt. You are light, say light. Okay, that's what you are. It's very, very interesting, which we'll get into later, but in relation to Jesus, you're a disciple. You follow to become like. You follow until you look like. That's Jesus. In relation to the world, you're salt and light. So we're going to look at that this morning. So in Luke 14, I'm going to give you, obviously, a lot of context, as I normally do, because it's just helpful to have the whole story. Let's just go to verse 1 and read Luke 14, 1. It says, Now it happened as he, obviously Jesus, went into the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees to eat bread on the Sabbath, that they watched him closely. And behold, a certain man before him who had dropsy, and Jesus spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? But they kept silent... And he took him and healed him and let him go. 
Then he answered them, saying, Which of you, having a donkey or an ox that has fallen into a pit, will not immediately pull him out on the Sabbath day? And they could not answer him regarding these things. So he told a parable to those who were invited when he noted how they chose the best places, saying to them, and we'll get into that in a minute. So what happens is Jesus goes to a prominent Pharisee's house. Okay, so let's actually just take a look at what's going on. Jesus goes to a prominent Pharisee's house. That's a, a ruler of the day. He is, you know, in the Jewish culture, their faith and their politics were together. So he goes to this high-profile person's house. They invite him, and it's on a Sabbath, meaning there's no one working. So everything's already laid out. All the food's laid out. And the people get there, these other Pharisees and scribes and lawyers and spiritual leaders of the day, and they looking, all they really care about is getting to sit in the best seat. And sitting in the best seat in that custom was meaning to sit next to the host. If Dwayne was hosting, to sit right next to the host. And so Jesus begins, think about the boldness. Jesus begins to address all the people that have been invited. And this is what he says. When you are invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place. Now, why does he choose wedding? What's coming? A wedding. What did the disciples say to Jesus? When you come into your kingdom, may we sit on your right and your left. And Jesus said, you don't actually know what you're asking. And so Jesus starts to point to something. When you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you uh, be invited by him. And he who invited you and him comes to you and says, we know the story, give your place to this man. And he says, and then you begin with shame to take the lowest place because it'll be the only seat left in a sense. But then when you are invited, go and sit down in the lowest place so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, go up higher. Friend, go up higher. So personally, I, I think it grieved Jesus to see spiritual leaders of the day being so blinded by personal ambition and, and, and trying to vie, if that's a word you guys, vie for position and title and prominence and status that they couldn't even see Jesus who's there. And I see it in the church today. Hello? It's the same, unfortunately. I, I think it desperately grieves the Lord. I really do. So he begins to address them. And he's saying, guys, you, you've totally missed it. It's not about that. What does he place the value on? Relationship. Friend. Friend. Once again, the value for Christ is the heart covenant, the heart relationship between you and him. Because one day he's going to invite you to a feast where he will be the host. And it has to do with relationship. It has to do with friendship. Then he turns, think about, again, the boldness. Then he turns to the Pharisee. Now, this is a prominent Pharisee. It was very generous to have a feast and to have a, uh, who knows, in those movies, brought up Downton Abbey here before. People must think I love this show. I really don't. But it's the only one that keeps coming to my mind. You know when they have those feasts, like, you know, they all dress and they dance and they do the whole thing? It was, in a sense, like that. They would put on a feast and it would be a, a status symbol you know, it would be a, look what I can do. Yes, I'm being generous, but look at who, at me by doing this, look who it makes me. You with me? And then so Jesus says, verse 12, then he also said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner, so he addresses the guests, and now he addresses the one who's hosting the dinner. Who's ever been in a party where it's just uncomfortable? That was this party. 
Jesus made it a little uncomfortable. He starts to tell them the truth, right there in front of everybody. He said to him who invited him, when you give a dinner or a supper, which he's now doing, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. There's that competition, that I will show you how what a party I can put on, and then I know that you'll invite me, and then it's like that status competition. And these are spiritual leaders, friends. It's like church competition. Look at my church or look at our church. It's just not of the kingdom. It's him. It's about him. It's about a relationship with him. So he says, do not ask lest they invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. And you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When you give to those who cannot give back, think of the veterans even today. When you give to those who cannot give back, you've started to actually break the veil and enter into eternal reward. When you give to those who cannot give back, even the people who attended this feast, if he had invited the lame, the, the maimed, the blind, and the poor, even if they were started to tell others, they wouldn't be telling anyone who had any reference to this guy. There's no way they could give back. And the reason he mentions that list is actually because that list is excluded from Jewish work, from full participation. They could participate a little bit, but they were excluded from full participation in Jewish worship in the temple. So he's saying, invite the outsiders. Invite the people who cannot pay back. Invite the people who sit outside. Invite them. And then you started to enter into eternal reward. And this all has to do with salt and light, which we'll get to by the miraculous grace of God. Then a gentleman starts to get very spiritual, because now he's like, you know, Jesus is being all spiritual, so I'm going to be spiritual too. He says, now when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. You know, blessed is he. Then Jesus tells a parable. The reason he tells the parable for me is because, partly because of what this man said. We can get into the parable, but it's, it's an answer to what this man just said. What he's saying is this. Do not be fooled. Your status, your position, your title, your career, your p- political position, whatever, none of that guarantees you a seat at that table. Only the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Nothing else. These are spiritual leaders of the day sitting around a table, and he's saying to them, friends, your seat around this table does not guarantee you a seat around that table. It's got nothing to do with what you've ascended to, what you've tried to wrestle in some position in the church through fleshly means. No, no, it's the blood of Jesus. It's only by me, he's saying, and yet they can't even see him. This is actually why he gives a parable. Then he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper. Imagine being the host. Imagine being the host. You've invited all these people. Jesus said, don't do that. And then he tells this beautiful kingdom parable, and it's exactly the opposite of what you've done. You know, you're sitting there, you're like, I'm not sure if I should eat that now. I'm not, I don't, I'm I'm not, how to act. Should I take that piece of salami? Should I put it back? I mean, it's just, it probably got weird, right? Then he says to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who invited 
Come, for all things are now ready. And then he begins to tell the story that I believe prophetically he's pointing to this age. He tells a story where people go out and extend invitations to a feast. Friends, that's the Great Commission. That's what he's talking about. Because they used to send out invitations far in advance so that people could prepare. And then on a certain date they would come. And then he says, come, for all things are now ready. He said, I go before you to prepare a place. When things are ready, I will come back. So he says, but they with all one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have brought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask that you have me excused. Still another said to him, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. And so the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to the servant, Go out quickly. Do you see the urgency? Friends, I believe that's where we are now. Go quickly. The harvest is ripe. The laborers are few. Go quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. The same list. Then he says this, and the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded. There's a friend, a servant who knows his master's heart. He already did it. He already did it. He says, and the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and hedges. That actually speaks about outside of the city. Prophetically, it's speaking about the Gentiles. Go outside of us into the highways and the hedges. Go into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste of my supper. What's actually happening here? People are going out. You're preaching the gospel. Let's make it real for us. You're going out. You are touching people. You're speaking to them about what's to come. And there's three reasons that the enemy will often use to blind people, especially in our culture, especially can we, can we get real in Loudoun County. Possessions, professions, and people. Possessions, that's, I've bought a piece of land. I'm very, you know, I've bought a piece of land. I'm advancing, in a sense, my kingdom. His kingdom is great, but I'm busy advancing my kingdom. Professions, that's careers. Now, I am not saying that you need to leave your job and follow, not at all. And then, obviously, people or relationships. It's interesting to me that this same list is exactly what the Bible describes that the disciples, whenever they were called, what they walked away from. It's the same thing. Think about this. Jesus comes into the tax office, and there's Levi doing his thing, and he says, Levi, follow me. And then he leaves. He didn't stay in the tax office. He just left. And I heard someone say recently, and as Jesus was getting smaller in the distance, Levi's like, um, like now? Like, you know, I, be, I better go because he's shrinking. And they left all. They, they left all. Family, friends, career, everything. And I think sometimes it's been unhelpful when people have said, if you want to follow Jesus, leave everything. We have to understand the culture that they were in. Some people are called to do that. I know because I was one of them. Some people are called to do that. But now I believe very, very much that you will see this pattern that Jesus takes these people. He says, leave everything for me. They left everything. He trains them. And then he sends them back into the marketplace. 
He says, now go back. There's a great move of God, I believe, coming where God's going to send people back into the marketplace and back into the, just the general parts of society because now they carry something because they've been with Jesus. That needs to come. That needs to come very, very strong. Where it's not just, I'm a pastor and you're a businessman. No, we all carry the same spirit. That's why I think God's re-emphasizing in this time. Identity. Know who you are. It's not about you. It's about Him. But when you know who you are, you know what you carry. When you know what you carry, you can have effect wherever you are because you're salt and light. Then he says, possessions, professions, or careers. Possessions. I cannot see their need for Jesus. They're blinded by personal advancement. Too busy building their own kingdom. Professions. People. Afraid their decision will be the loss of one or more relationships. Who's been there? I know if I make this choice for Jesus, this person will walk away from me. That's very real, friends. And you know what Jesus does after that? He zooms in on that one because that's the one closest to home. If anyone doesn't hate their mother, brother, father, it doesn't mean that you're called to hate them. The word hate there also means to lay aside. He's saying no earthly relationships can have the claim or the affections on your heart that I can. It's actually what he's saying. And sometimes in this season, your choices for Christ can bring some tension in a family atmosphere. And it's a choice for the Lord. And now it can bring sudden tension in a family atmosphere. Now what do I do? How do I deal with that? How do I handle these things? And then as we know, the servant says, Lord, they won't come. And he says, go and get the lame, the, the maimed. Who are that? Those are the broken people. They desire to come, but due to brokenness, they will not come in. Friends, people, the lame, the maimed, the blind, there is a brokenness inside people. What did he say? Bring them in. Bring them. Not invite. Bring. There are people that are they know their need for the Lord. They know they're around in our city. We have one of the greatest heroin epidemics in the country, here in Loudoun County. There's many things where there's brokenness and hurt. Their soul is shattered. There's something wrong. You cannot invite them. You bring them. Because they of their brokenness, they cannot come of their own accord. That was in the natural, today in the spirit. They could not, the maimed, the lame, the blind, the poor, they couldn't get there in and of themselves. The other couldn't walk, they had no transport, they had no money. So he's saying, okay, those people, you've got to go out and you've got to get those people and you've got to bring them in. And then he actually speaks about outside. For me, that's those who worship other gods, false religions, other gods. To those, he says, compel them, plead with them, speak to them. Because he wants to save them all. Because the time is short. Friends, the Great Commission, it calls to us all. It really does. I don't know if you can feel, who can sense that feel, that call now? It's the Great Commission. It calls because you're his, and that's his heart. And unfortunately, often it's caused... It's used to make people feel guilty. He is the Lord of the harvest, not you. Don't go for results. You're a sower. Just so. But it calls. Every single one of those, those you invite, some people you have to bring, some people you have to compel. <laughs> That's Luke 14. And then as we know, he says, 
If anyone comes to me, does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters. And I've explained that. He's not saying you have to hate them in order to be saved. He's saying, if you're called to follow me, not just believe in me. If you want to be my disciples, he says, I have to read it. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me, he cannot be my disciple. He's talking about disciples. He's talking about followers, those who don't, not just believe in me for, you know, heaven. No, I choose to follow. I'm going to follow. And there's going to come many times in my life where I have a hard choice to make. Now if I follow, I have to let that relationship go. Or now if I follow, I have to let that go. Do you continue to choose to follow? It's not a legalism. It's not a forced. It comes from love. Deep love in your heart. Your affections are for him. And they come above any other relationship. And to some people sitting here this morning, you say, Clayton, that's unrealistic. I mean, Jesus is great, but that's, it's not. I know because I live there. When you love the Lord and you begin to follow and follow and follow. But the Great Commission, friends, it calls to us all. It really, really does. It calls to us all. And I think in this season, you're going to have people coming in and through your lives in and through your homes, in and through your relationships, that can cause some tension. And we are called to be salt. Can we teach a little bit about salt and light? Okay, some practical things. What do I do? How do I start? Salt and light, why did they say that and what does it mean? Because he says here in verse 34, salt is good, but if the salt has lost its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It's similar to what he says in Matthew 5. It is, this is in uh, Luke 14, 34, 35. It is neither fit for the land nor the dunghill, but men throw it out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So he gives this whole story, this whole parable. He's at this feast, and he starts to talk about salt and light. Interesting. Why? I used to ask that question. I trust you ask it when you read the scriptures. What was salt used for? He says it is neither fit for land or dunghill. Salt was used for manure. The cheaper type of salt that they had, it wasn't like in our days, it wasn't like this chemical. It was mostly white as well, sometimes pink. But they would take the cheaper type of salt, they would have these big piles of dung. You can use your own phrase for that. Of stuff all around the city. And they would take the cheaper salt and throw it on the dung hill. Why? Because it would actually stop, it would greatly decrease the release of ammonia. They would change the compound and it would make it almost into like a fertilizer or a compost, which they would then put on land which could not receive seed. And they would use this, they would take something that was messy and change it and use it now to produce fruit, crops, growth. Then we're going to do something called self-apply with every principle. Next slide. Self-apply. What does that mean for you and for me? The addition of you, why you? Are you salt? The addition of you into a situation should create life that was formerly not possible. The addition of you, you're salt. The addition of you into a messy, stinky, nasty situation creates life where there was formerly no life. It softens ground. I wrote it like this. When the truth is not breaking through, they could be blinded by some of those things, self-advancement. They could be blinded by professions, by careers. They could be blinded by something. I have no need of Jesus. They're blinded. They're deceived. And the addition of you into that situation softens the heart, softens the soil to now receive a seed. That's actually what Jesus is saying. 
because they understood what salt was really used for in those days. Because you are the salt of the earth. Secondly, salt was also a catalyst for fire. Someone would have a common chore in a Jewish home. They still actually do it today in the Middle East. There's not a lot of trees there, not a lot of wood. So what do they use for fuel for fire? So they take animal dung, and, and probably the teenagers, they had this chore. You would have to go out, get the animal dung, and take salt and make patties. Not very pleasant. And then you would have to put the patties out in the sun, and the sun would dry the patties, and then those would be used as like pellets or fuel for fire. And they would take those pellets, and they would put them in the oven to start the fire, and they would put a piece of tile, like an actual piece of tile, ceramic tile, and underneath they would put pure salt. And that pure salt would act as a heat retainer, and that would keep the fire light, the salt mixed in again with mess, mixed in with stuff. Self-apply. Salt... You have power, you have the power to be a catalyst to those around you. It's actually the Holy Spirit. In Luke 14, Jesus constantly starts to talk about being outward focused. This is good, but he's saying the time is urgent. There's a harvest, there's people, there's broken, there's deceived, there's other gods. There's... It's the Great Commission. And he's actually saying when you focus outward, not inward, when you focus outward, It's the fastest way, it's the number one way to keep the fire of God in your heart burning hot. I find personally, and often it's the natural first and the spiritual, I find personally when we try, God, keep our fire alight and be so focused inward, it's like you can spend all your time doing that. But when you just do what he said to do, it's like this. You are salt out there and you begin to become alive for God in your own heart. And the fire burns bright because that salt, when you're outward focused, retains heat. They knew this. They used to actually line the streets with these clay pot ovens. And that when the salt was, in a sense, leached out, out underneath that tile, they would throw it out on the path to be trampled underfoot by men because it no longer had any properties of salt. Isn't this interesting? So it's not just me, great. Salt used to be used to preserve flesh from corruption. Now, some of you can straight away know where I'm going with that. Both a person who's alive, from infection, from sickness, from, and it's like that with us. We have an old nature. And in Mark chapter 9, Jesus actually says, have salt within yourselves. It's actually talking about put the old man to death. And sometimes that burns. If you take salt and you cut yourself and you put salt in, I do it. My wife's like, babe, don't do that. But it's just, it burns, but it's faster. So you put salt in that and it burns like crazy. But it cleans it. And sometimes it's like that in life. God puts salt in there. And it's like, "Mm, I don't like this. I don't like how I'm feeling. But it's actually saving you from infection. It's actually grace. It's actually keeping you from being from the decay of the world and from sin and all that kind of... It's keeping you clean, even though sometimes it hurts. They also used to use salt, keep flesh from corruption. In other words, actual meat. You know, when they had a piece of meat, they would cover it with salt to keep it from being rotten and smelly and gross. And and in self-apply, that's you. God desires to insert you into people's lives, to keep them, to preserve them, to take care of them, to look after them, because you're salt. Not to be the morality police and go around beating people, you better stop, no, 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 with love. You, friends, inserted into a business, inserted into someone's life, inserted into a family, inserted into a community, you inserted in, you are salt. 
and you begin to become that preserving power, that thing that preserves people, that takes care of them, that thing that helps them see deception, that helps them keep from decay and from becoming rotten inside. You're salt. That's what Jesus is saying. You do that. And sometimes it's not in these supernatural ways. People think, I just want to walk into a place and I'm so filled with the Holy Spirit that everyone just gets saved. You know, when I was single and in ministry, you know what I longed for? Because my whole family was here. I was single in ministry in South Africa. I longed for family. And I would find myself often longing, and I would do it. I would look for people and families in the church who just were families. And I would want to go to their home. Sometimes what you have to give is not this high spiritual or big finance. You don't realize sometimes what just the nature of who you are provides to others. I just wanted to go around and hang with the family, little kids or older kids, teenagers, and it was sometimes messy and the parents I had and the kids. And, but, you know, I enjoyed it all because I missed the sense of family. And, you know, it's funny. Whenever they'd be like, I'm so sorry, my kids. I'm like, no, it's great. It's great because that's family. You don't always realize what you actually carry and what you have to give. And that can be salt to someone, that preserves someone, that takes care of someone. Salt brings out flavor. And this is for the artists. You might love this one. You know, if you put salt on something, and they used to do it back there to a much more extreme measure, it brings out flavor. The flavor's already there, but salt draws it out. You are the salt of the earth. I believe, friends, that we are placed into the earth to bring beauty, to bring creativity. The church is sadly known for what it doesn't approve of. I'll say that again. The church is mostly known for what it doesn't approve of. That is not salt. That is something else. Friends, you are salt of the earth. You are supposed to help bring beauty and flavor and creativity and life and art and culture. Yeah, Christians. Life, art, culture, fun, creativity. And yet most people in the world, when they think of the church, they think of boredom, stale, and gray. It's not God's picture. You are salt. Bring out the flavor of people. The self-apply for us, it's when God puts you in a person's life, see, don't see all the stuff. Bring out the gold inside. Create an environment. That's our heart here as the leaders, to create a safe place where people can come in and ask questions without getting in trouble, where they can take risks and make mistakes, and it's okay. That environment where we can bring what's inside of you out and bring the flavor so that the city can be beautified by Christians, by people, by... Hello? Because you're salt of the earth. And then lastly, for this, salt makes you thirsty. Very simple. When people are around you, what do they thirst for? <laughs> when people have been around you for a little while, and when you leave, what thirst have you left there? You know, really, it's a good question, because you're salt. You're called to make people thirsty for something. You will make people thirsty for something, when you realize it or not. Devin was at our house the other day, as is normal. And we started to speak about the Bible, and you can, I just started to cry because of my love for the Word. And she started to cry. 
and there was a thirst for the word that was obviously we were all there and you could see there's a thirst that comes it's wonderful because we're salt we're salt you're the salt of the earth you really are it's actually what Jesus gave you an identity with your salt it's not even about how good you are it's not even about how hard you try you are salt because you're in him and you carry what he you carry his spirit you are salt you're also light Bible says arise and shine for your light has come it doesn't say arise and reflect it says arise and shine Jesus said in Matthew 5 no one lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel under a bowl if we switched off the light this light and I put it under a bowl you wouldn't see it let's do that Jesus said why would you light a light and put it under there you know when they did this in the Old Testament Judges chapter 6, 6 to 8, with the story of Gideon. He says, take torches. They were going into battle. And he says, in every single person's hand, in their right hand put a trumpet, in their left hand put a torch. On top of that torch put a pitcher, which was made out of clay. And divided into camps of 100, you know, there's only 300 men. And he says, when the time comes, smash the pitcher so that the light can be seen. This picture is you. It's made out of clay. 2 Corinthians 4. We have this treasure in jars of clay, in earthen vessels. It's the same. Every person there was given the same tools, a torch and a trumpet. The trumpet in the right hand, that's the word of God. The torch in the left hand, that's the spirit of God, the word and the spirit. In order for that light to be seen, the flesh has to die. The old man has to die. Sometimes there's a brokenness that is required. The flesh, the old nature, the stuff of the world that has to die. And the light comes out. Because there's light underneath you. What keeps it from being seen? The flesh of the old nature. Jesus says, arise and shine. For the light, your light has come. And it's the same in the New Testament. We all have the same word. Trumpet. We all get given the same tools. We all have the same word. We all have the same spirit. Why do some people shine? There's been a death. Someone's taken the bowl off. The jar has been smashed and people can see the light of God. Hello? That's what it means to be light. That's what it means to be light. And you're left with the word and the spirit. And your flesh is like a thin veil. And the God can come out. He wants out. And I know I've thrown a lot at you today. It's not to just throw stuff out there. It's all to actually say this. What does it practically mean to be salt? I have a photo of the front wall. As you walk down here, you'll see on the front wall as you go out, there's an acronym, SALT. It comes from this message that I preached a few years ago. That's it there. And we're going to talk about those five. How do I practically, how do I practically start? For some of you, you're like, Clayton, that's a lot to remember. Um, dung and manure, that's great, but what do I do? What do I, how do, what do I take home with me? How do I start this process? How do I become salt? How do I, how do I start? Very, very simple. It's going to be very simple. So I looked at this acronym a number of years ago. The Lord actually gave this to me. Start in your sphere of influence. Why? Because you are salt and light, and this is where you will need to learn to be intentional to be that salt. Just in your sphere of influence, your family, 
in your workplace, wherever you are, in your sphere of influence. And what I would encourage you to do is, if you want to start, pick one person, maybe a couple, maybe a family, maybe a colleague. Pick a person and start to pray for them. Start to, it's actually investing in them in the spirit. That's just a fancy way of saying pray. And not hours of 10 minutes a day, 15 minutes a day, 5 minutes a day, whatever you can. Start to pray for that couple. Start to pray for that person in your sphere of influence, in whoever they are. Maybe say, do that for two months. Friends, you watch what happens to that person. Because the insertion of you, you are preparing in the spirit ground, hard ground to be made soft. You have no idea. You are causing something to begin to stir within that person. And you are, it's just someone in your sphere of influence. You don't have to go stand up and preach in the city. You do, someone that you touch sides with often. And if there's someone that you're like, yeah, mm, mm, that's even better. That's even better. If they rub you the wrong way, that's even better. Why? People say, okay, well, what do I do? Because let's get real basic here. People say, you tell me to pray for this person, and I'm like, okay, Lord, um, thank you, I'm salt. Uh, yeah, don't, I don't like it when they do this, Lord. Make them, no, no, don't do that. How do you pray for this person? If you don't know, take a list out of, that you can throw up, I don't know if they have it, take a list from Luke 14 and pray for each one of those areas and you'll find that God will lead you to one. These are the areas, the possession, profession, the relationships, maybe they're broken, maybe they're in a false religion and start to pray. I wrote some down, like for example, Lord, let them see their need. Let them realize that they do have need of you. Lord, let them see that that's not going to satisfy. Lord, let them, and begin to pray. Maybe it's Maybe it's the profession. Lord, let them begin, let their career not satisfy them. Let something stir inside of them. That's how you begin to pray for that person. Lord, uh, if they're in toxic relationships, begin to separate them, begin to call them apart, begin to, begin to draw them, begin to speak to them. If they're broken, you can just begin to cry out to God for this person. You may not even know them that well, but you touch sides with them all the time. Friends, I used to do this all the time. And you begin to cry out for those, that broken person. Say, God, they're shattered. Their soul is destroyed. I don't know what happened to them. They're so broken. Bring life. Bring healing. Bring someone into their heart. Draw them. And it's powerful when you pray because this stuff in Luke 4, it's already written. That's the first one. In your sphere of influence, forget, begin to pick a person, a couple, anyone who God leads or just pick one if you can't sense who God is. And just begin to pray. You'll be amazed. Watch what happens in that person's life over the next two months. It's likely they're going to come to you and ask you a question. Or they're going to go to someone else. The second is acts of kindness. Give to those who cannot give back. Luke 14. Acts of kindness. There's two types. Spontaneous and repeated. I personally find repeated acts of kindness start to draw attention much, much like the miraculous. It's God's kindness to you. That led you to repentance, not his rebuke. That's Old Testament. It's his kindness. What can your kindness do for another? Sometimes a simple act of kindness at the right time can turn that hard soil and make it soft to receive seed again. The next is love and listen. Salt. Love and listen. Friends, don't rebuke people's behavior. Just love them. 
I don't agree with a lot of choices that a lot of people make, but I can still love them. And loving them doesn't mean I just want them to keep doing it. I'm just going to love them. No. If they come into God's house, they, they will come as they are, but they will not stay as they are. But they will not come if the love is not genuine, if it's not sincere, if it's not from the heart. Love them. Listen to them. Get out of your world. Actually look up. Speak to people. Look at them in the eye when you talk to them. If it's a child, go down to the level. People, there's people all around. Love people. Look at people. Listen when they talk. Actually listen. Active listening. Not just thinking about what you're going to say. Listen to them. Love them. Very, very important. It's not done anymore. Put this down and engage with another person. I'm just so glad, I really am so glad that when Jesus sent out the 72, that he made sure that each one of them did the Myers-Briggs test and the personality <laughs> test to make sure, because he definitely wouldn't allow you know, any introverts to have to go speak to people. He sent them all. You can do what you want with that. And lastly, trust the Holy Spirit. I won't get into that. Some of you are more wired that way. Give that word. Pray for that healing. Trust the Holy Spirit to show up. Because he wants to and he will. Can we stand up?